When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Our host, Paul, for the show today is in a very interesting discussion which is leading on data and data privacy. Paul is an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at Northeastern University and University of California at Berkeley. He is a successful entrepreneur and has sold three companies and has also taken a company public. He is the CEO of Startup Strategies, where he works with startups in their go-to-market strategies with large companies on their innovation initiatives. Over to Paul. Well, welcome to another edition of Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. As we mentioned last time, we are looking at various issues that affect the startup community. And one of the things that uh, we decided to focus on uh, this time is about data. A lot of issues on data that we are all trying to answer. Uh, So hopefully uh, this session will answer all the questions you might have about data. And we have with us uh, Mr. Amandeep Kurana, who is uh, the founder and CTO of Okera Inc., which is a big data access company. And uh, obviously, we've created already a few buzzwords and uh, hope to answer that. Uh, Amandeep has been in this industry for a number of years, has uh, written books and founded uh, this successful company. Uh, So welcome, Amandeep. Thank you. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Um, So Amandeep, you know, we've heard about data for a long time. And, and, you know, probably the amount of conversation about data that has increased in the last four or five years is just, you know, almost deafening. So why that? I mean, what, what is data? What, why is this such a uh, change that is happening now? It's <clears throat> a great question. Um, the, the problem of managing data or working with data is not a new one. In fact, if you go back... 30, 40 years, you can see that the advent of programmatic analytics um, is from the 60s and 70s, right? sort of the mainframe days. Um, and from there on, we've gotten more and more sophisticated in terms of how we work with data, how we store it, how we analyze it, what we can do with it, and so on and so forth. Uh, with, the, uh, with, with, with the web companies coming up and sort of the explosion of um, of data happening as a result, with more and more data being generated through, uh, through the web companies, through social media, through a variety of other uh, sources, like more connected devices, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we, we've, we have a much higher volume uh, of data and much higher, um, uh, much higher speed with which it is being generated and it needs to be captured and worked with, as well as just there's different kinds of data that is becoming uh, that is coming online with uh, with technology advancing at the pace that it is advancing. And with that, as more and more data is being collected, different kinds of data is being collected, different kinds of workloads are being run on on that data, uh, we, we sort of coined the term big data about a decade ago. 
uh, as an industry. Again, the terminology may not be uh, novel or new, uh, but the, the intent of working in a mainstream fashion uh, with just this amount, the different kinds and, and the different kinds of workloads uh, has, uh, has changed. And, and so now it has become mainstream. So when you uh, say, so, that's, that's a, yeah. so when you say big data, what, what, what magnitude are we talking about? Give me an example of some uh, company that you might be dealing with and what, what's, what's the magnitude? Um, that's a good question. So, you know, the, the way I think about big data is not just purely the volume. So when, when you talk about the magnitude, the size of the data corpus, uh, when I say big data, that's not what I mean. Um, what I mean there is that uh, the, the kind of data that we're collecting and what we want to do with it at the volume that we want to do with it, um, that, that we want to work with, the older tool set is not cutting it. And that's why we came up with the, the big data technologies. Now, from a volume perspective, um, terabytes was something that was pretty common. Tens of terabytes was pretty common. Uh, now we're talking about petabytes and tens of petabytes. In fact, uh, I recently was talking to one of our prospects, and they have an exabyte, a thousand petabytes of data on their uh, on their wow. big data clusters. Right. So now that's not something that you would find across the entire industry. There are you know, their business is very unique in terms of the amount of data that they generate and capture and you know, regulations require them to keep it for seven to 10 years. Uh, so there's might be a, an edge case, but petabytes is not uncommon to see at this point. Hmm, interesting. So, uh, you know, you talked about the kinds of data. I mean, I've mm -hmm. heard people say, you know, this is structured data, this is unstructured mm. data, then people start talking about semi-structured data. These are all right. words for us. So can you go deeply <laughs> into what those mean? Yes, for sure. Uh, see, inherently, when you, uh, when you want to analyze data, you have to put some sort of a structure to it. That's how you make sense of it. Um, that is called the schema, right? So let's say you have a blob um, to make sense of what the blob contains, uh, you have to say that the first 10 characters are the user ID. The second 100 characters are my payload. The third, after that, 100 characters represent my, um, yes, let's say, my source information and so forth. Right? So you typically do put structure in most kinds of data. It is uh, the, the degree to which you can put structure might vary, and it typically does vary. So if you think about one end of the spectrum being completely structured is you can think of transactions, let's say financial transactions. So Paul paid Amandeep $100, right? So from to amount, very simple structure. You can put that kind of structure pretty easily. But similarly, Paul tweeted uh, 140 characters and that was received by a thousand users uh, that are false followers, there's less structured in less structure in that 140 characters. There's a lot of meaning in that 140 characters uh, that may not be easily, uh, that you may not be able to put structure as easily. So the degree to which you can put structure varies. Um, it is rare to see, although there are use cases where it is you know, completely unstructured and you kind of have to detect what the structure might look like, free text being uh, the, the, the prime example there, but in most cases, you would put some kind of a structure in there. And what is, what is semi-structured then? Um, so like I said, that one end of the spectrum is completely structured, the example that I gave of a transaction. 
um, you can think about a tweet as something that is relatively semi-structured, right? Because the content of the tweet, you can't put as much structure, but the user, the user name or the user ID that tweeted, there is more structure associated with that. The time of the tweet has more structure associated with it, right? So semi-structured is, is just that it's not completely structured. It's not 100% uh, structured like a financial transaction example, uh, but it's also not just a blob of text or a blob of video. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I keep hearing metadata as well mentioned kind of in the same breath as data. What's mm -hmm. that then? Um, great question. Uh, so the example that I took of schema, right? Schema essentially tells you how you make sense of that data element. So the transaction example that we took uh, from to amount, uh, that is your schema, right? That kind of tells you this, this payload, this bunch of characters, this is how you make sense of those bunch of characters. Uh, and that schema is the, metadata, is the metadata about that payload. Metadata fundamentally is information about the data that help you make sense of uh, what the data represents. So schema is one thing, uh, one component of metadata. Uh, there is a variety of other kinds of metadata that, uh, that you may want to use. So for example, uh, there could be metadata on um, which system generated uh, those transactions. Um, there could be metadata on associated with um, how are you allowed to use uh, that information, that transaction information. Right? So that is information about that data that informs you what you could do with the data, how you could use it, uh, where it comes from, and so that you can make you can make better decisions on your usage of the data. So, like I see it in all the pictures that we take on our phone, I see a lot mm -hmm. of information about the picture as to where it was taken and how big it is and which camera was it taken in and what that's you know, right. all the details. So that's essentially metadata about that picture is what you really mean. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I think that's a, that's a great, great, great example. When you take a picture, um, the picture by itself is sufficient for most purposes that you are going to use it for, right? Sharing, printing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, if you want to really understand what is my resolution in that picture, can I really print it at two feet by three feet? Um, or is it not sufficient? The resolution is not sufficient. That resolution is metadata. Uh, which camera took it is metadata. Uh, that's, a, that's a great example. Hmm. So, you know, we, we used to hear a lot about SQL, uh, the structured, you know, relational mm -hmm. databases. And then suddenly we started hearing a lot about, oh, the world is moving to NoSQL. Mm -hmm. what, what does that really mean from a higher level perspective for somebody who really doesn't go in the deep throes of SQL? Sure. Sure, sure. Um, no, great question again. In SQL, uh, when it was invented, you know, as it's called, structured query language, when it was invented a few decades ago, the intent was to come up with a, uh, a language which could be used to express computational logic, right? So which is, you know, aggregate the second field, um, find the minimum on the third field, group by the fourth field, this is computational logic, right? This is you, you want to define um, or you want to express the logic that you want to uh, run on a given data set. It was purely a language. However, uh, that language was built in conjunction with, or it was invented in conjunction with uh, the relational database, 
with, with uh, which has a data model associated with it, um, the relational model. And so these things go very hand in hand uh, in, in terms of how these systems were built. So when we started collecting and wanting to work with um, a variety of different kinds of data sets or uh, at, at larger volumes, the relational database by itself ran into a couple of different kinds of problems. And the first problem it ran into was around scalability. The second problem that it ran into was around the ability to run a variety of different kinds of workloads. So the second problem, you know, when you think about SQL, SQL enables you to express a, a set of computation. It's not necessarily a fully expressive language where you can express anything and everything. It has constraints and restrictions that it puts on what you can do. And that's what gives it the ability to optimize um, or the database to optimize how those things are run under the hood. So when we, when we started to run these, run these two problems, scalability and the variety of workloads that people wanted to run, we said, well, the database is not really cutting it. So we need a different kind of a system. And that's what gave rise to uh, what we then, uh, what today we call as big data systems or NoSQL databases, uh, which are much more simple in nature in terms of the data model, right? So they don't give you the strict, uh, uh, strict data model of a relational database. Uh, at, at one end of the spectrum is the likes of your uh, file systems or object stores like HDFS, S3, where all you do is just store a bunch of files. And then from there, there are richer, uh, I would say, richer capabilities that, that, that go from there. So uh, files is one, key value pairs, um, that is, you know, that, that's for the likes of HBase and Cassandra. Uh, having more you know, columnar uh, formats uh, and so forth. It's not fully relational. So I think we're going to come back and revisit some of that uh, after the break. Okay. Uh, so yep. let's uh, take a quick break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Well, um, welcome back. Uh, we are back for... Uh the next section of our podcast, uh, we have our guest today, uh, Mr. Amandeep Kurana, who has been an, a leader in the big data world. And so we thought we'll use this opportunity to learn about data and what it can do. And we had a, you know, in the last section, we talked a little bit about the data and the different types of data. And while, when we took the break, uh, Amandeep started the, uh, with uh, some of the terms that probably confuse many of us. So I thought I will talk about those first. So he talked things like Hadoop and uh, Cassandra and terms like that. So can you tell us a little bit about what, what Hadoop is and why should uh, yeah. me as a user care? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Hadoop as uh, Hadoop originally was a, a set of uh, storage and compute uh, frameworks in the open source uh, ecosystem under the Apache Software Foundation um, that was created as a as an open source uh, equivalent of what Google had built uh, as a Google file system and Google MapReduce. And so this was built primarily at Yahoo and then a variety of other companies, including Facebook, backed the open source um, open source frameworks. And then from there, it grew into a uh, a much broader set of uh, sort of software frameworks, ranging from ingestion frameworks to multiple other compute engines to, uh, to NoSQL databases like HBase and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and today we end up uh, referring to that entire ecosystem as the Hadoop ecosystem. Um, but fundamentally, Hadoop really represented a new way of, uh, new way of storing, managing, and computing on, uh, on data. Um, and the the kinds of frameworks have been evolving very very fast over the last decade or so. So um, you know, uh, I've heard of uh, companies like Cloudera and Mapr and others who, uh, and obviously uh, Apache Foundation, which is doing a lot of work in the Hadoop area. And so what what is kind of the evolution that is happening in that industry um uh, like i said that the you know hadoop today is it refers to the broader movement um especially in the open source uh, open source world with these new kinds of data infrastructure software um the movement that's happening there is what we're, what we are noticing and what we're seeing is that a lot of workloads that used to be put in uh, in the data center on bare metal servers with uh, scale-out uh, storage systems and scale-out compute engines, um, you know, an example being the Hadoop set of frameworks, are now being considered as um, as candidates for migrating on to more cloud-based infrastructure because there's just significantly less operational overhead uh, of, um, uh, of running those systems in the cloud, and especially as infrastructure is migrating to the cloud, it makes sense to move these there. So that's one thing that we're seeing. The second thing that we're seeing is that the set of frameworks that uh, that were developed back in, let's say, uh, early 2000s, which is the, you know, the Hadoop ecosystem with, uh, with the file system and the MapReduce uh, computation framework, 
now are not really uh, appropriate or relevant based on today's technology trends so the technology trends that i'm referring to are um, you get you have more disk capacity more density you have more cpus uh, or, yeah you're more cpus per box and so in that world you don't really need to scale out as much right so you can do with a, a smaller cluster if you will um and these frameworks like Uh, the Hadoop frameworks haven't yet evolved to the degree that they can take advantage of uh, the the hardware trends in the direction that they're going. Um, so, and the cloud kind of poses a completely different challenge. Right? You don't really, you can't really take advantage of those hardware trends. You take advantage of service-oriented architectures. Um, so there's there's just a shift that's happening in the infrastructure world. So you're saying that uh, you know obviously because the the compute needs. are very high and uh-huh. so is the storage uh, becoming higher and higher so the model of uh, hosting in your own data center just doesn't really scale anymore so therefore people are adopting the public cloud the likes of amazon or azure or google is that uh, sort of what you see for the big data it seems to be the trend um i would i would i would articulate it slightly differently uh enterprises are looking to migrate into uh cloud based infrastructure whether it is the public cloud or private cloud regardless and they are doing that for the purpose of uh business agility um lowering their capex uh, and so they they're already doing that in doing that they're saying that these Hadoop based or the big data deployments that we have in the data center why should we not migrate these over to the cloud as well right we need more capacity we need we need more storage we need more compute and we can burst uh, up and down we can scale it up and down as needed the cloud enables that you can't really do it in the data center so we should just move these things as well the movement is not being done for hadoop the movement is already happening uh, your big data deployments and your hadoop deployments are candidates Uh, for the migration so you're saying the flexibility that the cloud offers in terms of uh, scaling in and out is one big motivation and therefore uh, companies who are already kind of you know trying to convert their capex to opex as well by going to cloud uh, so this trend is just yet another addition that is happening that's correct interesting um and uh, you know in every time companies think about cloud versus on premise they they always worry about like hey am i opening up a security vendor box for myself so what, mm-hmm. what would you say to them um the, you know that concern used to be uh, a very big concern till about 3 4 years ago and i think today uh with with more i'd say the the early adopters of cloud in the enterprises now uh, several of them and several mainstream large enterprise companies have adopted public cloud infrastructure uh, may not be completely for all their needs maybe for a subset of the needs but they have adopted um, public cloud infrastructure and as a result the cloud infrastructure has also matured the cloud vendors have uh, developed a lot more capabilities around security and and sort of governance of the infrastructure and so forth um so i would say that uh, the the sentiment that cloud is not secure is not really as uh, prevalent anymore however there is a different sentiment that is there which is that 
security in the cloud looks a little different than security in the data center. The way you think about perimeter security, the way you think about firewalls, um, physical security, those are just not applicable uh, one is to one in the world of cloud, right? Because the net, you don't control the network plane uh, that is being run and managed by the cloud provider, and they take care of the, the, the physical security on those things. They take care of the perimeter security. Um, they give you the ability to customize um, and, and sort of co- configure how different services and, and different pieces of infrastructure can talk to each other, and that's your responsibility to configure them the way you see fit. Um, but the underlying um, infrastructure is secured by a cloud provider. You don't have access to those physical boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way you think about security definitely changes. So, so what what are the things companies should worry about when they've sort of migrated to the cloud? What part of security, you know, given that perimeter security is probably taken care of, so what are the other things that you worry about? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the the primary thing that we see uh, people not pay enough attention to is the you know the cloud represents this self service movement, right? Where there is more power in the hands of developers and DevOps engineers, um, and and less so uh, in the central IT organization which is great, right? That's what enables the agility. Um, that's what enables them to move fast and develop new kinds of things, which is fantastic. However, not every software engineer and not every DevOps engineer and not every, um, every technologist in the line of business is equally adept and trained at um, configuring the things the right way. So user error in terms of how they configure, how they build their applications, um, are probably one of the biggest reasons why they would find security holes. A simple example, this was I was uh, with one of our prospects um, where uh, there was a conversation that was happening that if we have a bunch of data in, in the database, uh, in the data center that we want to migrate into the cloud, and this, uh, this user sitting in the room says, oh yeah, I have that in the S3 bucket, right? I, I've already moved it. And all of us are looking at, now I obviously wasn't aware of the security posture that they had taken and what kind of data is allowed to move. Um, this was you know, one of my early conversations. But the other folks in the room look at that person and say, hang on, you moved that table to S3. That is which not is allowed. The, which is the Amazon cloud. Right, that's, yeah, exactly. Exactly, let's say Amazon S3. Like, but that, you know, who gave you permission? They said, well, uh, did I need permission? I mean, I had access to Teradata. I just you know, dumped the table and put it into a file and put it in the S3 bucket. And now I run, uh, you know, this particular computation framework on top of it. Uh, now that is an example of uh, self-service, uh, but gone wrong, right? Like that kind of exposes, uh, that that creates an exposure uh, that nobody actually knew that that data was put there, and nobody knew what was being done with it. And this person, they were not malicious by any uh, any means. Uh, they were just they said, well, yeah, I had access to it. I put it there for my work, like completely, completely innocent. Uh, but that's user error that exposes the exposes the enterprise. I think that's one big problem that people run into. So I think there is a lot of talk about data breaches, and you know, you talked about one data breach which might happen because of you know errors on the inside. And I think mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about the data breaches from the outside when we come back um, after uh, a little break. We will take and. Okay. Uh, Yep. You know, 
So think about all the things that uh, we can address uh, from that perspective uh, when we come back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Get a unique and playful insider's take on the biggest stories in tech, media, and entertainment. Join Lori H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Well, we are back um, and we are having this conversation today with uh, Mr. Amandeep Kurana, the uh, one of the founders of a uh, company called Okera, uh, which is working in the big data governance space. And uh, it was appropriate that we started this conversation with him in the last session, uh, talking about the data breaches or issues with data security. And one of the examples he gave is where somebody inadvertently actually caused um, a problem in the data security space without realizing it. So I'm sure, Amandeep, there are areas where, you know, companies have to worry about data security, not just from inside, but from other places. So, um, and, and oh, we all keep hearing about data breaches all the time. So what are, what are your thoughts on that and what should companies do? Um, so we, you know, the, the example that we were taking was um, somebody put sensitive information onto Amazon S3 without um, consulting their uh, their security or IT team for best practices. Um, in fact, and in a very very naive manner, um, they didn't even know that they had to do it. Um, and, and you know th- that happens uh, quite often. And then I would say 
uh, probably more often than you and I uh, find out uh, mm-hmm. because these things just go undetected uh, till there is a reason why it gets flagged for the security team. Right. So for the most part, these things will go undetected because till the time there's a pro- till, till there's no problem, nobody knows that there there was something like this that happened. So mm-hmm. this happens. Right. This is this is one example. Um, other examples or that might cause breaches or other kinds of things that might cause breaches are you know applications were not written with um, you know thinking about uh, let's say the interconnectivity between the different components of the application being secured. Right now you're in the public cloud. You're sh- you're using shared network infrastructure. Um, you're using shared compute infrastructure. Um, and if your application isn't built with security uh, and at you know at its core, uh, that would be uh, something that could create some exposure for uh, for the enterprise. So application security and the application design needs to be uh, needs to be paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, as more and more uh, Applications are being consumed and built by enterprises, um, both built internally as well as consumed through SaaS offerings out there. Now we can see that data is, there's kind of this data sprawl where Mm -hmm. data lives across multiple kinds of application, multiple kinds of infrastructure pieces, multiple kinds of vendors. And it's very easy to lose track of where things are. And then what is the sensitivity level of the different things, the different data elements across these different applications and how they might link to each other. Uh, so not having a good, uh, I would say, inventory of, uh, of all the data sets um, could again create this scenario where, um, again, not, not malicious intent at all. Uh, it could create the scenario where you could slip on, um, on securing a subset of these applications and data elements. Right? So we mm-hmm. see that happen. Um, Another example is where you've put data in the right places, but you've just configured the infrastructure wrong, right? You've just configured your Amazon S3 um, IAM roles uh, incorrectly because it was just, again, hard to manage or configured uh, incorrectly. There was no flag, there was no notification because no, you know, Amazon S3 cannot tell you that it was done right or wrong um, and nobody else detected it. So, suddenly your Amazon S3 bucket is accessible to the public. Um, so that's possible, right? That, that kind of stuff can happen. So I think uh, one of the things that people think about is, hey, I'm encrypting the data, so why should I worry? Uh, yeah, that should be secure. Yeah. If somebody got hold of it, what's wrong with it? For sure, for sure, yeah. You know, uh, security can be thought of as multiple layers uh, and multiple layers of defense. And encryption is certainly one layer of defense, but it's not uh, sufficient, and it's not the only layer of defense that you uh, that you would need. Um, so while encryption would would make it, uh, I would say, more secure than completely unencrypted, it doesn't solve the problem hundred percent in all cases. Because um, so let's say you've encrypted data and you put it in S3. Right, as an example, um, and you configure things incorrectly, uh, and your S3 bucket is is open. Uh, but uh, similarly, you could have configured things incorrectly, and your uh, key management system could also be open. Right, these kinds of errors can happen. Um, now, you don't see it happen very often, but it's possible. So what it's you're po- saying is possible. that encryption of the data means somebody still needs to key to open or unopen that data. I.e., you know. Uh, encrypted or decrypted 
And Correct. if the key is not managed correctly, uh, you could have the same repercussion, whether the data is encrypted or not, it really doesn't matter. Exactly, exactly. But it's, it's all about layers of defense. It's all about layers of security. Um, and you want to prevent from uh, any of those layers uh, not doing the job that they were supposed to do for any number of reasons. And then the next layer comes in, comes in for your defense. So I'm going to switch a little bit from data security to data privacy, which is like a big deal these days. They talk about a lot. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, we as users have lots and lots of data. We leave lots of our digital footprints. And many a times they are misused or maybe we don't even have an idea of how, how my data is being used. So maybe if you can tell me a little bit about, you know, what is it that, you know, people are afraid of? Why should I be afraid of, you know, if I leave my digital footprint, what can happen? And what is, why is this such a big deal recently? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, you're right that privacy has become a hot topic these days. Um, one of the reasons privacy has become a hot topic is because of the regulations, right? The regulations like GDPR and CCPA and uh, other data regulations uh, that have become top of mind because of the uh, how punitive they can be. Right, the, the impact on an enterprise for uh, because of those regulations is actually pretty big. Um, so that's why it's become a hot topic and we've seen an influx of uh, capital going into uh, funding new companies. At its core, uh, it's pointing to uh, the, the regulations or sort of the movement that we are seeing across the world. Um, at its core is society now is, uh, I would say, catching up to the trend um, or catching up to technology. So technology of us, all of us being more connected, um, uh, enterprises collecting data from us through our activity, uh, through our engagement with them or anything that we offer up voluntarily, they collect all that data there and then they use it to, uh, to create more economical value for themselves. Um, and in some cases, our experience of using the product improves in other, in other cases, uh, maybe not so much. Um, but there is just certainly more economic uh, value that has been created for the enterprises by using your and my data. Um, and you know, either they're targeting us better or they're able to make better decisions on the product, um, uh, any number of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so that is kind of what points to this thing of, um, well, if I was shopping at uh, Nordstrom and um, you know, I was in San Francisco at the Nordstrom and I bought a pair of jeans. Uh, that, is, that is information. I may care about that information as something private to me. I may say that where I was physically, my geographical location at that moment and where I shop is private to me. I don't want anybody else to know and certainly not use that information to send me offers or target me better. Um, I, may, I may be of that opinion. I may also be of that opinion, of the opinion, which is completely opposite to that, and say, hey, if you can use my data and, um, and give me a, um, a, a, an offering for uh, a pair of jeans at Nordstrom, uh, such that I can save 30%, I'm, I'm okay with it, right? So I could, I could fall anywhere on that spectrum. The mm-hmm. whole idea behind or everything that you're hearing on the privacy side is that it's my choice. The so default the- so far, user choice was taken away because vendors who were collecting this data decided to use whichever way they felt it appropriate. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I, as a user, I'm, I'm just 
missing out this aspect of how do I control which data of mine goes to which place and which one I don't allow. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. right. So that, that is the whole idea behind consent. I may be okay with letting Nordstrom use my data to offer me a 30% discount. You may say, I want to maintain my privacy and I don't want Nordstrom to know this, uh, this set of information, so I should be anonymized completely. Uh, but if you want to use my data, uh, you know, you may say that I, if you want to use my data to plan your inventory better, sure, go for it. But it should not be Paul's data. It should be there is, you know, people are buying genes mm-hmm. or hundred genes a month, right? So that's more uh, planning at the at the uh, at the broader level. So that's the consent piece, right? So which is which goes to you and I think about privacy or think about how our data is used differently, and hence the focus on privacy. Uh, being more of a uh, per user phenomena. Uh, and that's why, and these regulations are kind of pointing to the same direction, right? It's good. consenting. You and I have to consent to how our data can be used. So what you're saying is the regulation of GDPR, CCP, and probably 100 others, their focus is really to give the user a little bit of a control back in terms of how their data is being used and how it is being controlled. Absolutely. That's one of the key elements of, uh, of these regulations, yeah. So uh, before we go for uh, the break, I, I remember reading in Forbes, uh, one of your pieces where you even talked about, hey, you know, uh, yes, regulations are okay, but there is another aspect that, you know, if you want to protect your brand, you should worry about uh, trying to protect the privacy of your users. What are your thoughts right. on that? Um, I see this as, and I see regulations as an opportunity for businesses to be a little more mindful and responsible about how they use your and my data, right? Um, when my data gets misused by, you know, we we'll go back to the Nordstrom example. Um, if, if I say, don't use my data to target me, um, or if I don't like that fact, and Nordstrom continues to target me, I will get to a point where I'll say, you know what, I actually do not want to shop at Nordstrom because I don't like the fact that they, uh, that they track my information and, uh, and I know that they track my information because they send me these offers. So I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop shopping at Nordstrom. Um, okay. And that's the example there. Okay, so let me, let me come back after the break. Uh, we'll uh, resume in, a, uh, in about 30 seconds. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? 
Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Well, we're back uh, with Mr. Amandeep Kurana, uh, who is the uh, founder of Okera. Um, and, you know, we never got a chance, Amandeep, to understand a little bit about you, you know, what made you start this company. So why don't we spend a few minutes um, understanding that for our audience? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I co-founded this company with uh, Nong Lee uh, back in 2016, April timeframe. And at the time, um, I, before, before starting the company, I used to work for uh, Cloudera in the technical field uh, organization, where I had the opportunity to work with uh, some of the largest customers and partners uh, in uh, developing solutions, strategizing on solutions on um, their adoption of Cloudera software and just big data technologies in general. Uh, and through that time, I had noticed uh, some of the challenges that enterprises were running into and security and governance were certainly uh, a set of problems that, that people ran into. Uh, but at the same time, we were also, you know, Nong and I were seeing uh, a trend in the, in the ecosystem uh, that, uh, that there was the need for an independent uh, software product that would manage data security and governance and privacy at scale. Uh, was uh, was growing, and there was definitely a missing piece in the puzzle, and especially with our hypothesis being that more data is going to migrate into the cloud, more workloads are going to migrate into the cloud, more and more enterprises are going to uh, choose cloud-based infrastructure as their primary infrastructure over time, um, and there will be a heterogeneity of the kind of workloads that people are going to run on these uh, on the data that they collect. Um, and multiple vendors would be uh, playing in that heterogeneous environment. Uh, that kind of told us that there, there, there would be a need for an independent uh, vendor to offer data management um, set of uh, capabilities, uh, security so, and governance and privacy being one of them. So is it fair to say then Okera is kind of in the business of allowing uh, companies to actually uh, protect their data, if you might protect access to that data, and making sure that only right people get uh, right access to data within the organization. Uh, that is absolutely right. Uh, the thing that I would add to that is uh, in an environment where uh, the, the people who are accessing data have the, have the choice and freedom to use whichever tool they think is appropriate uh, for the data that, or for the workload that they're trying to run. Uh, that is, that's one of the key uh, distinctions of what we've, uh, what we've focused on. 
So you're saying rather than people having to worry about every security engineer, the example you gave earlier, every engineer trying to worry about security, you sort of create a, uh, a centralized um, security framework, if you might, uh, or access framework that any and every application can actually start to use it without worrying about whether this engineer took care of it or not. That is correct. That is correct. And then the security teams and the privacy teams can uh, sort of steward uh, the data as they see fit. Hmm. So with the, um, you know, all these regulations, you know, GDPR, CCPA, because you said, like, you know, companies are obviously worried about not getting the fines. Uh, they're also worried about protecting kind of their brand. Um, and which is another reason for them to worry about it. But are there other reasons that companies really should worry about it? Actually worry about security and, uh, and privacy? No, but, you know, kind of controlling access to the data, right? Because the yeah. whole idea of the data was that it becomes an asset for me because, you know, you want to run various things, uh, you know, various kinds of computations on the data to make decisions. Right, right, um, right, right. But it, it seems like it's like at the same time, you know, the someone who is in running a machine learning load uh, requires access to the data really, really fast. And then, um, you know, all these regulations and my brand protection and all that. So it's kind of counterintuitive in terms of making my job easier. So how do you yep. Sort yep. Of solve yep. that dichotomy? See, there's there's three um, there's three ways to think about this, or there's three reasons why you might care. One is regulations. Pretty straightforward. Uh, if you don't meet the regulations, the fines are are fairly uh, fairly punitive. So you want to take care of those. Uh, you want to be you want to adhere to the regulations. That's one. Um, the second one is more the brand focus, right? The example that we took of, um, if I don't want you to use the data, use my data a certain way and you continue to use it, I'm gonna stop giving you my data and I'm gonna stop giving you my business, right? So there's the brand value component to it and people are becoming mm -hmm. more and more aware uh, of businesses or business practices of, uh, of vendors that they engage with or companies that they engage with. Uh, and, uh, uh, and they're kind of, they're choosing who to do business with and who not to do business with. There's just more awareness, so there's that. The third piece is what you pointed to uh, is uh, around efficiency and uh, business agility and kind of making your own business operations um, uh, more, I would say, more efficient, more agile, uh, more streamlined. So an example that you gave is if I, as a data scientist, want to train a model on, um, on let's say, transactions data so that when transactions come in, uh, I can say whether this is fraudulent or not. I'm taking a very, very simplistic example. Mm -hmm. uh, if I do not train this data on real world uh, or this model on real world data, and I use synthetic data that you know, I generated, um, if I use synthetic data, my model would be as good as the data that I generated, as good as the synthetic data that I fed it. Uh, but if, I, if I'm able to give it uh, real-world data, and it, could, it, it can be anonymized. I don't necessarily need to have Paul's phone number in there. It could look like any other phone number, or it could be just anonymized using used any, uh, uh, let's say, 
tokenization um, tokenization uh, uh, method, um, that's perfectly fine. So if I train on real-world data but anonymized, the quality of my model will be better. And therefore, the way its ability to detect fraud, um, the success rate is going to go up. Um, okay. Now there's two ways you could do that. Right. One way you could do that is you could say um, I have data living somewhere, uh, and if if this data scientist wants access to it, I'm going to go through approval processes, create a copy of it, and uh, you know. Uh, it's going to take me four weeks before the data scientist is going to get access to it. Um, and, you know, that kind of slows you down. You're paying these people top dollar um, and, uh, you know, them sitting around twiddling their thumb is frustrating for them and you, and it's a waste of resources. And that person will likely leave over time. Uh, however, if you were able to manage access and give them access uh, in a quickly, in a quick manner, uh, while adhering to all the controls that you need to adhere to, so that's kind of, you're managing programmatic and governed access uh, at mm -hmm. scale. Okay. Um, you can make their lives much easier, much faster. So those are so, the three reasons why you may care about data access. So Amandeep, uh, we've come to the end of uh, the podcast. Any last minute thought that you want to have? Uh, we've got like a few seconds left. I think we covered a variety of different topics, right? We covered... Um, Big data, Hadoop, NoSQL, we covered data breaches, privacy, security. Um, I think uh, we covered a variety of uh, different topics. This space is evolving very, very fast, and our own understanding of what's required is, um, is developing along with it. So anything that I said uh, you know, might evolve over the next few months to years, and, uh, and we may learn more. We'll do another session soon. So thank you very much for your yeah. time. Really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.